0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. This is Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and with me is Dan from Shares. Hi. So, this week we're going to look at why so many takeovers are happening and what investors should do if one fund group is taken over by another. And we'll also be looking at the exodus from absolute return funds. And today we're joined by Simon Mollica from AJ Bell.
1: Hi there.
2: So, first, Laura, you've been looking at absolute return funds and the fact that they've been unloved by investors for a long time. Uh, What does your research show? And I guess you better quickly explain what on earth an absolute return fund is.
0: Simon, do you want to explain? Take the mantle from me.
1: Yes, of course. So, um, absolute return is, I guess, probably, um, it's fair to say, a, a kind of newer idea in, in some ways, and it's because the use of its powers were, were widened to allow these types of funds to launch. So, really, um, the way they are positioned is to provide inflation uh, plus returns. Um, so... In a theory, it's giving people a positive return. So it's actually an outcome-driven sector. It's telling you what you should get from the sector. Whereas actually most of the traditional sectors, something like UK or companies, um, you have a description of what you're actually buying into in essence. So UK companies, the funds that exist in those sectors are broadly UK equity funds, which are built up of UK listed businesses. So absolute return is very different. Um, There's been, I would say, some disappointments in this sector in that um, possibly people under the impression it was kind of guarantee, where it certainly isn't. Um, The idea of having positive returns is is absolutely not guaranteed. And actually, the sector itself was changed from a a 12-month rolling period to a three-year to give people um, the idea that actually you should think a bit more long term in terms of that but it's still absolutely not a guarantee and um, but I think where the, the probably biggest flaw is or a misconception is that um, you really have to understand what you're buying in this sector um, so the sector is built of over hundred funds but they're very very different funds um, providing different types of exposures um, so you have to be very careful really the idea is that they should be uncorrelated to equities and bonds the traditional asset classes but that's not really the case in some situations so you can have a long short equity fund that is actually um, geared up more than, than say a zero net position it may actually have a beta aligned with equities which actually means it will act somewhat in tune with how the equity market does. So if it could end up maybe having a beta of 0.5, then you do need to be careful because that will move with the equity markets. Um, so the idea that it's uncorrelated to the traditional asset classes doesn't actually stand quite true. So you really, really have to understand what you're owning in these types of funds. So Laura, what what does your research show then?
0: So yeah, these funds were hugely popular a couple of years ago and they were kind of the darling of the investment industry and loads of asset managers launched funds um, in a bid to grab some of those assets that investors were putting into them. Um, so out of all of the sectors in 2015 and 2016, it was the best selling sector. So it was where investors were putting most of their money. And the tide has kind of turned on that now and investors are pulling out their money in droves. So um, over the past 11 months, there's been consistent outflows and more than five and a half billion of money has pulled out of those funds.
2: Is, so, it, is, is that because performance is not being very good? So people just sort of saying I've had enough I'm leaving yeah is essentially else no
0: that is a big part of the story so there's been some really massive funds in the sector so Standard Life Gars is probably the one that everyone has heard of and will know about um, and that was kind of the pioneer for the sector um, a very big fund very complicated um, and that's in massive outflow so that's part of the reason so that's actually so it's in about 10 billion of money pulled from that one fund alone over the past year and about 18 billion pulled from it over the past three years and a lot of that was driven by the fact that the fund was underperforming and it wasn't delivering on its um, stated goals of delivering that absolute return that Simon was talking about. But a lot of the ones, so I looked at the funds that had seen the largest outflows over the past year, um, and of those, eight have um, five-year performance data, and all of those eight have failed to meet their own benchmarks, so their own targets for returns. So, lots of them have made losses or they just haven't kept up with what their stated goal was, whether that was to be inflation or whether that was to deliver what's called a cash plus return. So, cash cash plus 3% a year over a longer period. So, if I had to put a headline on it, it would be absolute return funds have disappointed and investors have pulled their money out.
2: I mean, those are some big figures though, even for that single product that you were just describing. Obviously, shows how how, how, how popular they were. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting to see investors sort of walk away Uh, because we're all told that investing in funds is a long-term game and you know five ten years you should be parking your money Uh, yeah you know shows that people are still investors are still sort of savvy and know what's going on and um, just refusing to put up with um, substandard performance.
0: Yeah, and I think Simon's point earlier is probably very true, is that the, the name absolute return could be a little bit misleading because it does tend to suggest that to some investors maybe who hadn't dug into the sector, that this would be a kind of guaranteed thing. Um, and it hasn't been. And even those that have made... Um, gains still haven't beaten inflation in lots of cases. So the actual real value of your money has been eroded over time. So I think maybe there was a case where um, investors piled in when these sectors and funds were really, really popular. Um, Then they haven't delivered the returns that they thought and that they thought were perhaps guaranteed or a sure thing. Um, And so they're now pulling their money out.
2: So Simon, you look at the funds industry very closely, but if if you're you're running an absolute return fund and you're not delivering – um, surely the fund managers would be under pressure from from people to to do something. Or you know, is this you know, is this a product that could be out heading out the door that we're not going to see them? Or do you think there's still there's still a role for them if they can get the strategy right?
1: Yeah, I think. Um- the problem is we do ask um, a lot from people over short-term periods, and long t- uh, investing should be a long-term game. Um, I guess the issue here is really that the objective is nearly to outperform in any market conditions. That is absolutely the holy grail. You know, I wish that was very simple to do. It's not. It's very, very complicated, and it's much more complicated than a simple long-only strategy. Um, so, you know, with that becomes increased risk. Such it means there can be more to go wrong. So. I think they absolutely do have a place in a portfolio and we, on the investment team, use them within solutions. But again, it's really understanding what you're buying so that you can uh, manage your own expectations very well. Um, I can think of some absolute return funds that have delivered a negative 10% in one month. You wouldn't, If you didn't know much about that fund, you wouldn't really think that should be in that sector as such. Um, but this is what what you're dealing with. There are incredible risks. But if you know that and you appreciate that and that's accepted by you and you've, you're happy to tolerate that type of risk, um, then you should be able to expect that. So I think it is managing your own expectations. Um, but probably the industry itself could help with that.
0: So we've also seen lots of takeover chat and some deals. So this week, the latest talk was of London Stock Exchange and Refinitiv and justy and Takeaway.com um so dan what's in the water why are takeovers happening
2: it does uh you know they, they come in waves so it certainly seems like there's loads going on at the moment i can think of four key reasons first is the cheap pound so that obviously if you're an overseas company and you're looking to acquire something in the uk it's going to be in you know the foreign exchange rate works in your favor so you've had the US private equity company, Advents, made a bid for the defence firm Cobham. Um, you've got private equity firms, they, and they've been selling assets for, I don't know, three, four, five years. Um, they're all sitting on loads of cash, and they kind of want to recycle that process. So they're they're doing deals. Um, I've seen data suggest that, um, you know, I think in June is like really, really high levels of activity. And I guess you can just expect more of this to come. There's loads of big companies that are struggling to achieve organic growth. So they're going to naturally turn to acquisitions um, to try and find a way of you know, driving those sales up, um, perhaps like the glory days that they used to enjoy. And also, we've got loads of activist investors that are just pushing for deals. I mean, it's interesting that you're talking about Just Eat, that they're proposed to merge with TakeAway.com. Now, there's an activist investor called Cat Rock Capital who owns very small i think about two percent of just eat but they've managed to um talk about this in the public domain so pushing for the company to merge with someone uh, and so that's why it's kind of it wasn't a surprise but it's interesting how these activist investors only have a small stake and yet can seemingly sort of achieve quite a lot
0: and so i'd never actually heard of takeaway.co.uk is it takeaway.com
2: yeah um i've it's- never heard of them I, I believe it's a Dutch company. It kind of does the same things, but yeah, no, right. I, I'm not familiar with it, but you you know, it might be that they want to find a way to come into the UK. I mean, Europe and the UK seems quite attractive to um, this food takeaway um, sort of developing industry. There's still lots to go for, and as consumers, we uh, whilst it may feel like we we sort of order takeaways all the time, I still think there's there's a lot of people who. Could potentially do it on on a more regular basis. So I can see why people, you know, from a corporate perspective, you want to get involved in mergers and acquisitions in this area. But you know there, there is loads going on, and I think the the question everyone's asking is who's next? Who who could be a takeover target? So Aston Martin um, has got one of its private equity investors called um, in- Invest Industrials, an Italian firm. A couple of weeks ago, made an offer to buy an extra 3% of the firm for 10 quid. Well, as we talked today, the shares are trading at less than £5. Um, so you you would sort of naturally think uh, there might be potentially some more interest, at, certainly at this very low price. I mean, Aston Martin floated on the stock market last year, I think at £19. It's now less than 5 It's been a true disaster. But you know, whilst shareholders in it may be grumbling because they lost money, Someone else may be thinking of it as an opportunity. So you always have to look at sort of both sides of the coins with um, takeover situations. Um, Sports Direct could Mike Ashley take that company private? Uh, you know, there's there's it's not just. Um, a rival company looking to take over things. It could be an interested individual who wants to do something. Um, You've had Babcock has rejected a bid by Circo earlier this year. Um, Some house-building companies look potential targets, I think. Bovis has tried to be buying Galford Homes. I mean, these house-builders are sitting on masses and millions and millions of pounds of cash. They're paying big dividends. I I would have thought someone might be quite interested in thinking you know, could these companies just pay out all of this cash quickly? You know, for, if you're a private equity firm or a hedge fund, you know, I'm sure house building must look like there's an opportunity, even though there are potentially cracks in the in the property market.
0: And um, for investors, uh, takeover deals, they always have to be judged on a case by case basis as whether they're a good thing or are they generally usually good or not?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, there's two ways of looking at this. So if you if you owned a company um that was perhaps struggling a bit and then someone comes along and makes a takeover offer you could expect 20 30 percent premium to the price at which it traded before the news comes out so you get a little uplift potentially you could you know, if you'd lost some money, you might have narrow your losses, or you could suddenly turn you into making a bit of a profit. And we saw this with Merlin Entertainments, the Alton Towers um, owner, that received a takeover bid fairly recently, and its share price was sort of drifting for a while. But you know, I think you know, the takeout price would certainly have benefited people who've been in it for a while. But I think you also have to think: well, if I had a really good company in my portfolio, and someone takes it away you're kind of taking away something that's been rewarding me for a while and I was hoping that you would give me rewards in the future. Um, So takeovers aren't always as good as people may initially think. Arm Holdings, I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah. So this was a big tech company. So three years ago, um, it it was taken over by Japan's SoftBank. Now this this company had been rewarding shareholders um, with very good returns for a very long period of time. It uh, was caught up in sort of just after the the, the referendum vote when the pound. So this is a classic example of a, a foreign company taking advantage of a, a very weak pound and it pounced on Arm um, and bought it. Um, I think even it was the chairman or, or maybe certainly one of the directors about a year later was did, a, did an interview on the paper saying, I really regret sort of approving mm. or saying you should um, take up this offer. Because it was kind of a short-term blip and a... Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly one if you talk to um, sort of private investors who, who are quite serious about this they, they do talk about arm quite a lot and say i really didn't want that taken out of my portfolio yes there's ups and downs but um kind of it's hard to find something to replace it i mean the stock market at the moment um, it, you know, there's a lot of excitement with u.s markets but they're all highly valued um in the uk they're kind of all depressed because of brexit worries and the cheap pound so it's it's, it's not an easy one to go out and say, like, suddenly you've got a load of cash because someone has taken over one of your companies and your portfolio. How do you spend it and get as good a return or if not better than in the you know than you have done in the past? I mean, in the funds area, we had some news out um, just before we did this recording of this podcast where Lion Trust, the asset manager, was going to buy Neptune. So, I mean, Simon, it, it, this is quite an interesting perspective. If, if you owned funds that are run by either of those companies does you know does a takeover actually affect um, the way the fund is run or do you think the, the scope for these you know when two asset managers come together can they can they just run things as they were before
1: um, yeah, I think it is a big danger. I'm um, just maybe taking a step back for a minute. Um, it's definitely not a new phenomenon, and investment management businesses are also very much subject to takeovers, and it's happened a lot in the past. I think the rate has probably increased more recently, uh, fairly dramatically, and I put that down really for, for two, two good reasons. One, because of pricing pressures in the industry, um, and the second, really, globalisation. So, pricing pressures being that um, their asset managers are becoming less profitable beasts, and therefore, they need more scale um, to get Keep up their margins, um, and so so merging together can. Um, provide opportunity for good synergies so good cost savings across businesses Um, and the second being globalisation that it's actually probably much easier these days to be able to sell a a strategy cross border therefore if you merge or acquire businesses in different regions you can utilise their distribution teams and sell existing strategies in different regions and and vice versa so I think there's good reason why we're seeing it more recently and Um, with
0: the Lion Trust and the Neptune example they're both kind of um, they're probably too big to be considered boutique aren't they but they're kind of mean Medium sized asset managers. So they're kind of in that prime zone where merging together, you could really get some cost efficiencies of taking two kind of middling sized asset managers and putting them together. Some of the fixed costs there. So there could be a benefit for investors.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely from from the company's perspective. um, I think where the danger really lies is though for investors in funds from possibly the company that's being acquired. So we do think very much about the parent organisation and the environment that allows fund managers to invest within. And when there's an acquisition that absolutely changes things Um, and we really have to assess that firm um, as one one, uh, unit, I guess, um, in the future. And actually things evolve, uh, not necessarily even that, that quickly it can be quite a slow burn so you really do have to keep an eye um, on these things i think probably the biggest danger is maybe uh, fund managers that own their businesses that then get acquired because in the past they've had lots of freedom to run their businesses they want um, and they've had the freedom to work um, within their own organization as soon as they become a lar- part of a large organization typically we've seen um, that's the point where possibly they struggle maybe relaunch something or, or possibly it's been an exit strategy for them anyway
0: so I- I guess that's something that investors have to be aware of. So it's not just looking at a a bit like Dan was saying, you have to take each takeover on each example. So you have to look at the dynamics of that takeover, who's getting paid out for it and how long they're staying for.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. It's always case by case, actually. In fact, because we operate with fund managers, real people, everything we seem to do is, is really looking at things case by case. Um, I mean, I can, I can think of one really good example, I think that worked very well, was when Franklin uh, took over Rendsburg, um, the UK asset manager that's based in Leeds. And I think that's worked really, really well for investors, because actually not a lot has changed. So if you're an investor in a Rendsburg fund then you haven't really seen much much change. Frank, Franklin were very happy to leave them alone, leave them to their own accord and let them carry on running business um, money as they were in the past because it was successful. I think in that instance for investors, you didn't have to worry too much as you saw the evolution um, being managed in that manner. Whereas something like a um, neptune Lion Trust, I think there's probably going to, I think it's probably going to take a slightly different route in its, in its evolution. So I think investors should at least be watching the system quite closely.
0: And you gave an example where it worked. I want the negatives. Where Give me an example where a merger or an acquisition has not turned out so well or smoothly.
1: Um, I think I'd probably point to the um, acquisition of Casanova by Schroders, really. Um I don't think it's necessarily been to the detriment of investors. But what I would say is that you've had high profile um, investors and fund managers um, leaving the, the joint entity. So really, I guess I'm pointing to uh, Tim Russell and Chris Rice, who have now launched their own business, Sanditon. Um Clearly, they left that business quite quite quickly. And that was um, a process they used called the business cycle. Um, and they've left to develop that in their own firm. So I think if you had... F- followed them because you really like what they were doing at Cazenove I think as an investor you probably become a bit disappointed in the fact that they're obviously not now at Schroeder's anymore and if you'd carried on holding the fund you're not quite getting what what you thought um, you were buying in now I'm not saying that's necessarily um, a bad fund today it's just not what you thought you were buying into so this is really what I mean by you have to watch it quite closely. So just before we
2: wrap up today I thought it was be a good opportunity to do another quiz. We haven't um, had
0: a quiz for ages. Yeah,
2: I know. Tom normally comes on and talks to us about pensions, but um, we, we locked him in a cupboard again. Yeah, we thought that, use the opportunity the fact he's not here to have a bit um, something a bit more um, fun, exciting. Yeah, well, <laughs> basically choose any, choose any word. <laughs> um, but I've got I've got a quiz. So trouble is when you do these on on the podcast, you, it, we kind of need a buzzer to say who who's got the answer first. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? You could either put your hand up, or you could just shout into the microphone. Um, but I'm kind of thinking that <laughs> which would be poor, lovely poor listeners, for yeah, listeners. I think, you think we need we need to have some sort of put your hand up or put your hand out. I think. Okay. Right. So um, I've got I've got ten questions, and they are covering various things to do with money, markets, and stuff that seems to be relevant to our podcast. Gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm are you scared. ready?
1: Okay. So. Um, I'm a bit concerned that maybe Laura's written these questions, and it might be a bit unfair. <laughs> no, no, Laura, quite please,
0: <laughs> Simon. Let's get on with the quiz. <laughs> she, hasn't, she hasn't
1: seen. I have
2: not mentioned the contents, um, so it's all going to be completely um, on a fair basis here, which will
0: become apparent when I lose in a minute. Yeah. So, so I'll
2: start you off with an easy one. Um, so, what is the annual allowance for junior ICEs? Four thousand. Incorrect. Four thousand three
0: hundred and sixty.
2: No, four four
1: thousand three hundred sixty-eight. So what's
0: eight pounds between
1: friends? I was rounding up to the to the one thousand. So actually, I'm going to keep the Laura. You've got
2: that because you were closer to than than Simon was. Oh, dreamy. um, Okay. So number two, how many companies on the UK stock market does Sports Direct have a stake in? Five. Simon, what do you think? I actually think it's higher than that. Now I regret.
1: Oh, I was going to go higher anyway, but thank you for confirming <laughs> that, Laura, so I'd say six.
2: Okay, well, that's quite interesting because it used to be a lot more, but the, um, they've either gone bust or, or he sold out of them. It's only four. It's Gold <laughs> Soccer Centre.
1: You misled me, Laura. Yeah,
2: Game <laughs> Digital, fun, um, Findel and French Connection. So Goal okay. Soccer Centre? Yeah, do you not know that? It's like the five-a-side... Now, what do you do on a Sunday morning? And you
0: not play 5 a side. <laughs> go play
2: five-a-side <laughs> five football. Um, okay, so no one gets that. Um, so what? N- I was closest. I'll go on then, yeah. Okay, because I, I, I suddenly in my head... There's <laughs> not like, a lot of integrity yeah, in this You list. had to get the, the, the correct answer. Number three, what is Neil Woodford's middle name?
0: I know his horse's name.
2: What's his horse's name?
0: Ernie. So I'm going to say Ernie. You're not going to um, say Bert? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I want to say James. Okay, n- neither of you are correct. It's Russell. And I would have ah. thought you would have had that tattooed on your back <laughs> or some, <laughs> something like that, so no one gets it. Um, okay, so we love talking about Monzo on this podcast. Name three descriptions for the colour of a Monzo card. And these are the official descriptions from Monzo. Coral. Yeah.
0: Neon pink. <laughs> and orange.
2: Okay, Simon. What do you think? Lilac, (laughs) red and orange. Okay, Laura is the winner because it's hot coral, but I'll give you that one. Midnight Sky and Lagoon Blue. Uh, Wait, hold the phone. Monzo have more than one colour for their cards. So Monzo Plus account, you have a choice of three colours. Oh, I'm
0: not in that elite group.
2: Yeah. Okay, so next one. How many US dollars can you get today for £20? Simon, you go first. Okay, $22. So, Laura, what do you think?
0: It really depends, as a personal finance expert, it depends where you're getting your currency from. Are we talking about an (laughs) an airport kiosk or are we talking about the best rate you can get on the day? I'm
2: just talking about if you type the number into a foreign currency exchange (laughs) website. Some (laughs)
0: thorough research done by you, Dad. Um, I'm going to say twenty to $23.
2: 20 so your closest it's $24.30 something. Oh, ah,
0: we're so pessimistic.
2: Yeah. Okay, this is this is probably my favorite question of the first five questions. How, How many questions <laughs> are Oh no, sorry. Well, it's actually six we're on question 6. How many beans do you get in a tin of baked beans? This has nothing to do with finance. It's counting. <laughs> Do you, not, well, do you not count when you have a got, um, put them onto your two slices of toast?
0: Gonna, I, beans on toast is one of my favourite dinners. I've never counted them, though. I'm going to say 75.
2: Oh, that's interesting. What do you think, Simon? Do you give the weightage of the baked bean tin first? It's about 415 grams. The standard oh. size tin of beans.
0: Not a snack pot.
2: No. <laughs> and not a catering one, either. Is it 190? No, it's 465. What? Yeah. That's amazing That is That sounds too much Doesn't it (laughs) That's what the the internet Tells me Four six five So um, So who So I can't remember What you both said (laughs) Simon was definitely closer Simon gets his first But still miles away Okay Right This is This is uh, This is getting a bit tougher So I'm going to Tougher than Neil
0: Woodford's Middle name
2: Yeah Do this slowly You've got a £1,000 credit card balance and your APR is 18.9%. <laughs> is, is you pay off £20 a month. When do you fully clear your balance? Now, I've got a choice of three answers. Thank God. So it's a, a grand on the credit card, 18.9% interest, 20 quid a month. So it's either you clear it in a year and nine months, three years or seven years, six months.
0: Seven years, six months. You're paying £20 a month? Yeah. For the listeners, Simon is doing a very tortured look on his face while he does some mental
2: arithmetic. Could you go through the options again, please? One year, nine months, three years, or seven years, six months? Seven years. Yes, you're both correct. Well done. That's very good. Question eight of ten. We're almost there. Thank God. When did the old-style £1 coin stop? legal tender I only, you don't need the exact date I just need the month and the year not the day <laughs> <laughs> thank How you that's, that's you? very generous <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I actually have no frame of reference for this you could tell me this was 10 years ago Or you could tell me this was last month And
2: I'm not sure I'd know
1: I wouldn't say September 2017 Oh my god You're almost It's
2: October 2017 oh. That's brilliant That feel, It feels like it was su- I didn't no. even get a chance to guess oh,
1: <laughs> In fairness you said you didn't know Yeah sorry I
0: haven't known the answer to any of these questions It's not stopped me so,
1: Laura, Well you're, what, you're beating me still you,
0: I would say October 2017 well, That's correct that It's well a done. remarkable
2: law remarkable well done <laughs> Point for me <laughs> um the this is episode 40 of our podcast is it it is gosh on episode one what was what did we talk about
0: are you joking me
2: i I thought you would get an advantage given that you were here and simon wasn't
0: i don't actually listen to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) Um, did we talk about woodford (laughs) <laughs>
2: no, we didn't. No. Was
1: it money related? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I think that's nice. a point. Okay, go on.
0: Um, I actually have no idea. That feels like so long ago. I'm yeah. going to go back and listen.
1: Okay,
2: so should we say so Simon's winning so far by saying? are just saying money, <laughs> okay. money related, stock markets. Okay, <laughs> it's sort of evened it out now. Um, right, final, final, final go. No. No. Okay. Pocket money, the subscription economy, and FTSE 100 CEO changes. Oh, that sounds so like a great episode. I'm giving that to Simon. Um, the last question. <laughs> if a right, this is this is this that is, a sympathy problem? right? This is you got you got to so. listen on this Take one. Take all the okay. points you can get, Simon. <laughs> yeah. Um, if a bat and ball together cost one pound ten, the bat costs one pound five. One pound more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Five p. And Simon, what do you think? 5p. Yeah, well done. That's very interesting.
0: We love a good cryptic question, Dan.
2: That's interesting because um, a colleague of mine was reading it out of a book to me yesterday and it said something like 90% of fund managers got the question wrong. I think in your mind... That is a
0: damning indictment of the industry, yeah. I think.
2: It also helps if you've read the book. Yeah.
0: Oh, I haven't read the book, so I should get extra points. <laughs> well, For it's just yeah, being smart.
2: I think lots of people would automatically think that it's... The ball cost 10 p and the, the back
0: anyway, stop flim flaming who yeah. won the quiz
2: <laughs> so <laughs> aggressive so aggressive I'll just add it up um, so you both got that one so one, two three, four, five, six, So Laura's one yeah um, well done Laura well well done well done so. Is there a prize? There is a prize. Are I got the two glory over Simon. because I got I did get Simon I did get you a, a special prize because I know that you have been um, a bit of a sort of on on a fitness regime and not having anything with um, sugar, no alcohol and all that stuff. So um, I got you an orange <laughs> and you can have that as a backup prize. So um. thank you very much. <laughs>
0: That's right. And um, Simon so, doesn't
2: look impressed with that yeah, prize. Yes, so, I got I got some Mr Kipling cakes. Oh, so, amazing! Yeah, so you can have that. So dreamy yeah
0: <laughs> thanks for that Dan that was great light, light relief yes um, and that is everything for this week and everything for this month and everything not, not forever we're just taking a break um, over the summer so we're going to be having a hiatus to work on new ideas Dan's going to work on his tan yeah. I'm going to come up <laughs> with some good new podcast ideas um, and then we'll be back in September so do join us then and have a great summer
2: thanks very much thank you
0: you. <music>